All right, 1 Corinthians 15, if you can open your Bibles, and there are sermon notes in the bulletin as well. We are working through chapter 15, and we are going to be in verses 45 to 49. We are coming back to a study of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. By now, you should know that this is the premier chapter in all the Bible on the resurrection. It deals with the resurrection of Jesus, and then it goes into our resurrection, and that's where our focus has been. And you see up on the board up there, yes, there is a resurrection for believers, and here's why. Why is that such a major theme? Is well, because if you read again verse 12, I'm hoping that it's driven into you, that verse 12 ends with this line, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And the church did not think that there was a resurrection of believers. And so the Apostle Paul answers back, yes, there is a resurrection for believers, and he goes into great detail. He wants us to understand that, yes, there is a resurrection. Now, so as we come and we open up our Bibles, I am hoping that you're all interested in this. Number one, anytime you open up the Bible, it is God's word. You should not look at this as any, like any other book. This is not like you open up a great novel or a magazine that is maybe about your favorite topic. This is the word of God. Right by me saying, oh, open your Bibles, you should understand your awareness needs to be heightened because it is God's word. This is a great passage, and I, I like it because it does have interest, I think, that, that should really um, get you focused. Number one, it deals with the resurrection that is tied to your death. And as much as we all don't like to think about it, we are all going to die. We are all facing death. And as we like to live our lives thinking that we aren't going to die, I think it is important for us every once in a while to focus and say, oh my, this is a possibility. I may not think I'm going to die. I was thinking this week about, many of you may not have known, being, maybe you're not all sports fans, but there was this 19-year-old kid that had the entire, his entire life ahead of him. He was a, uh, a star basketball player. I think it was the University of Kentucky. And he decided he was going to drop out of the University of Kentucky to go become a professional. And he was going to be in this summer's NBA draft. Well, lo and behold, 19 years old, gets into a car accident, doesn't have a seatbelt on correctly, and he's dead. You never know when death is going to come to you. And so when we're talking about a resurrection, and remember resurrection means coming back from the dead, and the reality of it is we're all facing death, you should be interested, especially when we're getting into the idea of what this resurrection body is all about. And then I think there's an aspect of being very interested in this text because it's dealing with the future. You know, we love to study end times. We love to look at the rapture. We look at who's the Antichrist. How is this all going to play out? Well, one of the most important things that I think for us personally is what are we going to look like? What's our bodies going to be like? What are we going to be doing? And, and I think as we go into this text, as I've said, that chapter... 
um, 15 from verse 35 to 49 doesn't have one exhortation. What the Apostle Paul has come to at this point is the decision to say, listen, I just want you to understand. And if you can understand the resurrection body that you're getting, then it will impact the way you're living. Now remember, that all fits within the context. Paul has said in chapter 12, I mean verse 12, hey, how in the world do some of you think there is no resurrection for believers? And then after giving a rhetorical response, he came back with this big picture. And so far, we have looked at this part, the order of the resurrection. So you look at verse 20, and that's when he says, but now as Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And he begins this order of the resurrections. Great explanation. You should think about it. Not only does it tie to the Old Testament um, concept of first fruits, but how the kingdom order is going to be played out as well. And so Paul went into that from verses 20 to 28. Then he went into a series of testimonies in 29 to 34. And, and so he, he wants us to understand that he, he, at the heart of these testimonies, there were three that he gave, but he was at the heart of it, was like, wow, look at my life. I believe there's a resurrection. And that's why he says in verse 32, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? I mean, if I didn't believe there's a resurrection, why would I put myself out where I'm in these dangerous situations and I could possibly die? And if, if there was no resurrection, then yeah, let me be a party animal. I would have spent Saturday night getting drunk. I would have spent this past week just living it up for myself. But I gave my life. I was someone who was very, very wealthy, people. That, if, speaking for the Apostle Paul, when he talks about his own personal testimony, he gave up so much to serve Jesus Christ because he knew that when it was all said and done, passages about the resurrection were true, as well as the blessings that come for those who live for Jesus Christ now. Listen, you don't get to heaven and then get rewarded. You get rewarded for how you live your life now. It's like, oh, I'm in heaven. Now I'm going to give my life. Now I'm going to serve. Yeah, you're going to serve in heaven. Now you're going to do things. But when you live for Jesus Christ now, that is what gets rewarded. Paul realizes that. And so he says in verse 33, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know, you look around the people you're hanging with, the things that you do, if they're bringing you down, I'm telling you right now, get them out of your life. Get them out of your life. Because you only have one life. This one life is that which counts. And you don't know if you're going to die at age 19 or you're going to die at age 85. But you, even in that privilege of living to 85 or 90 or whatever, how you live your life matters. And Paul is saying... You get around people that are going to pull you down. They're going to pull you down. And, 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 and you've got to make a choice. So he says, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. Stop sinning. You know, um, I was meeting with someone from the Christian junior high this week, and he was telling me about all these kids that now are in high college that are just having sex how they're all getting drunk. And it's like, I'm thinking to myself, these are all kids that I work with when I was coaching soccer. 
And I'm, I'm absolutely stunned with kids away at college and he's just totally immersed in immoral activity. And I'm thinking, you have made an incredible, foolish decision. And you are making it very evident that you're not born again. And I don't care if you're a teenager or whether you are an 80-year-old. You have to recognize the way you live reflects what you believe. And, and, and so Paul is saying, look, you better think this through. That's why he says you, you, you become sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning. That's the part, perhaps the most explicit challenge that I can think of in Scripture where he says stop sinning. Stop sinning. And if you're a believer and you're thinking that you can have one foot on one side of the fence of the immoral world and one foot on the good side of God, and here you are on church on Sunday, please, let me just make it really clear. You're fooling yourself. Because what you do one hour really doesn't compare to the hundred and what, so many other hours you got where you're living for the world. And I, 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 I say this in love and care because, listen, you only have one life. And you can't compartmentalize your life and say, well, you know, I'm going to be really good on Sunday morning, but forget the rest of the week. So Paul is trying to get you to understand that he says, this is why you should be living a different life. You're getting this resurrection body. We said this is the big picture, and this is where we are now. The glorified body makes sense. And from verses 35 to 49, that's all he's going to do is try to get you to understand what this resurrection body looks like. No commands, but the idea is if you get this and you understand this, you will say, I need to serve more. I need to stop sinning. So that's where we're at. We're, we're at this part now where the glorified body makes sense. And I don't want to be somebody that's like trying to twist your arms where I'm trying to be manipulative. This past week, I had two sales presentations by high-pressured salesmen. You ever get a high-pressured salesman? There's nothing wrong with being a salesman. There's nothing wrong with people selling you things. But I got one phone call, one email, where these were high-pressured, and, and the, uh, the idea was, with the guy on the phone, it was like he knew all the words, like, to not get off the phone. What's it going to take to get you to make a purchase today? Well, you know, just wouldn't take no. And, and then the other one was, like, really foolish in the sense that, hey, look, we'll, we'll save your payments here. He'll save you $7 a month on your car payments, you just that you're going to have to make an extra 40 extra car payments. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, uh, do you really fool people with this? And, and the reason I bring this up is because I got to tell you, I mean, I'll watch Christian TV. I'll watch um, Christians on the, the YouTube and I see the manipulation. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm not trying to get you to cry. And I tell you, one of the most irritated I've ever been was when I was at a, uh, dealing with a pastor who once told me, I can make people cry every Sunday. Every Sunday. Not just one Sunday. Every Sunday. So that when, at the end of the day, you're making a decision. I don't want to do that to you people. I want you to come to an understanding. That's what this is all about. The glorified body makes sense. And if it makes sense, then I'm going to live my life differently. That's what this is about. So the Apostle Paul is getting into this text. And let's just read it. We're, 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 well, where we're at is this. Paul says in verse 35, Some will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? 
So he recognizes people are wondering. It's never been written about exactly all the details. And so I said he comes up with three analogies. And each analogy is designed to give you more understanding. So he came up with the first one. And he says, let me talk, tell you about the seed. And we're not going to go back into the details. If you weren't here, go back, listen to the podcast, look at the YouTube video. But the idea of a seed is that it dies, it goes through a transformation, it has continuity, but through the entire process, God is the one that is making it work. Look at verse 38. But God gives it a body just as he wished. God was the one working that behind the scenes. So seeds are supernatural. When you plant an apple seed and it comes an apple tree, it's supernatural. So God wants you to understand, if you're going to, you might are questioning, are we going to become zombies? You know, maybe this, this is just all beyond the, the pale. I really don't understand how this works. What God is saying is, listen, there's going to be a transformation. Like a seed gets a transformation. That's what you're going to go through. Then he went through the analogy of bodies. And there were seven benefits that were phenomenal. You needed to look at the, all seven of those, dwell upon them, think about them, and be blessed by them. The fact that we get a unique flesh, something different than we've ever seen before, something that is not a clone, something that will never perish, will be glorified in its beauty, never loses its power. Never loses its power. I talked about this last week about sitting in a chair and falling asleep. My goodness, I think it happened like two, three times. I literally will sit at 10 o'clock at night and I'm thinking, I'm finally done. I've been working all day. I'm going to watch my show now and I'm going to sleep in five minutes. I hate falling asleep when I'm sitting in a chair. I'm getting older. I will get to the point where I will never lose power. It is wonderful. That was the analogy of the bodies. And especially when you went through that comparison, like you look at verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. I mean, this is where we're going, people. This body that we all got, every one of us that has this body now, it's breaking down. It's not going to hold up. You cannot look at this body and say it's permanent. But now we come to this. And you can fill in the blank with the A. We are coming to an analogy of atoms. Not just Adam, singular, but plural. Let me read verse 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. And I tell you, this is really, you know, interesting to me. Let me get my notes. Um, okay. Yep. All right. Because what we're looking at here is this future race that we become because when he brings up this this idea of adams we all know that adam was the name of the first man ever created and now the picture here is of jesus i believe being the last adam the second adam even though jesus is never 
explicitly said, and Jesus is the last Adam. There's, the word Jesus doesn't even, the name Jesus doesn't appear in here. Um, there's a text in, let me see, Matthew, um, no, excuse me, Romans, Romans chapter 5. Just quickly turn there so that you all know that this is perhaps the closest text that I can come up to know that we are talking about Jesus. Um, Romans 5, 12 to 21 is perhaps one of the greatest sections of scripture on salvation and, and all the Bible and, and the free gift that we get from Christ and, and how death reigned from Adam, the very first man, to today. In verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type, the idea of type, typology, of him who was to come. And the him, in the context, is Jesus, Jesus Christ. So besides the context of 1 Corinthians 15, this passage, and, and maybe one other one that kind of slightly alludes to it, but I think this is even better, is the best passage that we have, that when we're talking about the second Adam, the last Adam in our context, that it ties in that we're talking about Jesus, okay? So if anybody wants to argue with me and say this Adam, the second Adam is not Jesus, please talk to me. It'd be, it'd be really interesting. I'd like to hear what you have to say. But listen, all of this is about dealing with the future. We're trying to get you to understand the glorified body is the future body. Now, listen, this is, again, why you should be so interested about this. And, 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 and your interest is peaked when you look at the future. I was thinking about the fact when we look at the future, there, there, there is so much that we seem to know, like, oh, there's a coming tribulation, and, and then there's going to come a thousand-year reign, and then we're going to go into heaven. Heaven comes to earth. But be, there are so many other details we don't know. And, and, and we don't know so much about heaven. Things that sometimes we ponder. And, and I'm going to give you like three, they might be humorous, there's no joke in these, but the reality is I want you to think about this and ponder this. Number one, uh, we don't know what type of, of, of um, language we're going to speak in heaven. Do you guys ever think about that, that we don't know? We don't know if we're going to speak Hebrew, Greek, Latin. A lot of people think it's going to be Hebrew. It could be. I got to tell you, <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but it bothers me. It bothers me a lot because I want to speak English in heaven. <laughs> I, I, I've tried to learn French in high school. I tried to learn Spanish for people in this area, and I wish I could. I wish I could work harder at it. But it's fascinating how we are going to speak in heaven and that we're all going to be perhaps on the same page. I don't know how that's going to work out. Do you realize in the future, we're never told exactly how it plays out? Second, we don't know what kind of clothes we're going to wear. The Bible alludes to robes in like Revelation and, and, and things like that, but are they just ceremonial robes? And I got to tell you, clothes are important to me. I don't want to run around in a robe all day. I'm just sorry. I just want to let you know. I don't know about you, and I don't know, is it going to be like, like time periods, like, you know, the people back in the Roman days, they, they all wore togas. And, and I went to toga parties when I was in college, okay? But I don't want to run around in a toga. I don't want to run, you know, in the 17th century, they had those little tights 
those bo- all boys were wearing tights. I'm telling you, I don't want to be a tight guy. Do you want to be a tight guy? I don't want to be a tight guy. And, and then later hosen, there's people who run around in later hosen. I don't want to run and let, run in later hosen. I got to tell you, I like my sweats. I like my pants. I like my sweatshirts. I want to feel comfortable in heaven. And I don't think, I'm not look. I, I'm really curious. What are we going to wear? Now, some of you might be saying it doesn't matter. You know, we're always going to be happy. But these are things I ponder about the future. And I wonder, lastly, the third major area is, what are we going to eat? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, we don't have a stomach. But Jesus ate. So somehow there's a process of food that can happen in this new glorified body. And I'm, I'm excited because I'm looking forward to, because I've gotten to the point where I got to watch what I eat, and I'm looking forward to eating and not being worried about calorie intake or what it's going to do to my health. And, and, and I'm looking forward to thinking, oh my goodness, if we can really eat and just enjoy food, what a joy that's going to be. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I really enjoy steak, but we're not going to kill cows in heaven. So how are we going to have heaven without having one of these, you know, these great meals? Is Jesus going to be able to create a plant that can grow a T-bone or a ribeye steak? Possible. It's possible. So, look, I get it that there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about. But what we do know, what we're trying to get you to understand, is that if you get the benefits from this second Adam, the new race, when you get these and you understand that you're getting these, it will make you say, boy, I want to make sure, number one, I'm a Christian because I want this. I want this more than anything in the world because I, I realize that people are dying and their bodies all go away and it doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. You cannot keep this body going. And then, and then I realize that it is beyond comprehension, that it is a glorified body. It is a body that will never perish and it will be good. And as much as my life has stunk on this earth, as much as I can wallow in my own self-pity, I can finally realize I'll be in a world in which I will not have self-pity. There will not be anything that will be negative. He will wipe away every tear. That body will be in that environment. You better believe I want that. And if you're holding on to your life and you're holding on to your sin, then it's like you're holding on, as the Apostle Paul says, so I'm not Stepping across the line. Philippians chapter 3, you're holding on to a bag of poop. That's what your life is. Because the Apostle Paul cares, looks at his entire life and says, oh my goodness, everything in this world that I was striving for, all the wealth, all the accolades, all the self-serving of myself, I consider it dung. Philippians chapter 3. This is why Paul says, I'm giving it all up. Because I realize how much Christ is worth, how valuable it is, how precious he is. Well, now we come to this analogy. And, and so look at verse 45. And he says, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. And then the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Well, what's the benefit? It's this. Renewal of life. Now, I tried to just keep these really simple. But let's just break this down so that you understand what is exactly the benefit. It's the renewal of life 
of continued human life. It's, it's an aspect that I've shared to before, but it is, it is the continuity of human life. We are not going to go into something that is brand new from the standpoint of the fact that, you know, we were, we were one type of living being and now we're going to become another type. It's like the transformation that all of a sudden we're becoming these angels. There's still an aspect of us being humans. And, 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 and we're going to see how this plays out. So let me just break it down. So he says, verse 46, so also it is written. So also it is written. And for, for people who really like to get into their syntax and get into the understanding of, of even the Greek or the Hebrew, but here the Greek, this was a very hard transition. Um, one of the commentators, I think it was Lenski, said that this is one of the more difficult transitions, but our English has made it seem so easy. So I just want to point that out. So what, you, what we have here is we're, we're coming up with the idea of the, of the very first person um, was written. And for those of you who really to get into your theology, when it says it is written, you automatically think, oh, this is a quote. It's right? It's a quote. And when I think of a quote, I think of something like verbatim, where you, you take the exact same things, and it's like um, trying to think of a quote from the Old Testament where it's maybe like, um, the righteous man shall live by faith from Habakkuk 2. All right, and, and that's quoted. I think that's the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. This is not that type of quote. This is a theology quote. You see, when he says, as he's trying to make his point here, he says the first man became a living soul. There's nowhere in the Old Testament you go and you find that. I just love the way God uses his Bible. This is a theology quote, meaning he says, you know, we recognize in the book of Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, we look at the creation account. God goes, gets dust, makes man, breathes into him, and he becomes living, alive, a soul. The Greek word there is psyche. And he becomes a living soul. You don't go and you find an exact quote, and Adam was made a living soul. So you just put that on the side, and you're just conscious of the fact that this is a theology quote. And I, there's other ones in the scripture, but this is one that I really like because of how it's being used here. Now, Adam, not a myth, first person ever. We're going to come back to that. Living soul. The word soul there talks about the inner being of a person. Is there a difference between the soul and the spirit? I tell you, it's one of the hardest differentiations to make. Because you see at the end of verse 5, it says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Spirit there is the Greek word pneuma. Sometimes used for wind, breath. You know, when you try to look at the theology of the inner person, it's been very hard for anyone to clearly define a difference between soul and spirit because there's a sense that they overlap. I point that out. I'm sure there are some areas of difference, but my point in this text is that I believe he's not trying to bring a difference. He's just trying to bring about the fact that we are going to have an inner person. And every one of you knows that you have a sense of being an inner person right now. That this body that you're in is not who you are. 
in the sense that ultimately there's, there's a sense where you have a consciousness inside you. And we learn in other scriptures that God has given you that conscience. And it's tied to your soul, told, tied to your spirit. So what he says is the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, were there multiple Adams in between? Like you have the first Adam and you have multiple Adams? Well, I think what he's trying to get at is more so the idea of, of the race of humanity. Adam was the very first one, but now we're having this other Adam that comes on the scene, which I've tried to establish as Jesus, and I don't think there's going to be anyone after him. So what the point is, is that I think is that we're coming to the fact that there's no more races after this one. This is the, it. But you've got to be mind blown by this because we all recognize there's only one human race. It doesn't divide, you know, we recognize there is skin color differences, there's nationality differences, but all of us have to understand that we've all come from one person. And, and his name was Adam and he got a wife named Eve and from their union, everybody was born. We are one human race. There's only one human race. And in our world today that's trying to divide us by races, it is imperative that we as believers continue to keep before people the truth. There is one human race. But when he says there's the last Adam, he's trying to show you that there is coming now a new aspect of race. But look at the line when he says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That word life-giving is one Greek word. And, and it's not just the fact that he, Adam is like, this, the second Adam is breathing life as like God breathed life into the dirt. He is regenerating life. This verb is used previously in the same chapter. Look at chapter 15, verse 22, where it says, For in Adam all die, okay, verse 22, chapter 15, so also in Christ all will be made alive. All will be made alive. Made alive is the verb here. In the, it's the exact same Greek word that's used in verse 22, that's used in verse 45. And the idea is, is that everybody gets made alive. And, and, and the, this last Adam is continuing on, which is, is a theme I'm going to keep continuing, but Jesus is making us alive. And he's going to bring us into this new race as this whole text is going to take a place. And, and, and so there's a sense where you should recognize it's not going to be something that is just out of scratch. Your history and who you are is going to be taken and renewed. So I think this is wonderful. Like often people wonder, say like, you know, am I going to have memories? Am I going to re recall what I did on earth? To the extent of who you are, absolutely, because it's a renewal of who you are. It's a renewal of life. And Paul wants to make people to understand this. Now, again, I just have to point out a couple facts. When you look at the very fact that Paul is using Adam as the point of comparison here, we got to keep reminding ourselves, Adam is not a myth. And I got to tell you, any church that you know of, any of your friends that go to a church where their pastor says Adam is a myth, you tell them to run from that church. Just run. Because anybody that doesn't believe that Adam is a myth, then they're, they're saying that, that, that Adam is a myth, they're not believing Genesis 1 and 2. So why can't they just go to Matthew chapter 1 and say, well, that's a myth too. And then, and then Revelation's a big story too. 
We've got to recognize, and, and people need to be warned, because I'm sick and tired of coming to pastor's conferences in our area and pastors telling me secretly, hey, I don't believe that Genesis 1 and 2 is true, and lying to their congregations. We've got to recognize if somebody's undermining the scriptures to that extent, it's, 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 it's reprehensible. We, of all people, have got to recognize Adam is referenced as a person throughout the scriptures. He's a real person. He is not some book, um, storybook character. And as I've been saying over and over and over, when we look at the story of Adam and people are saying, oh, no, that's just like mythical and, 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 and the fact that, you know, this was just a way to explain evolution. i got to tell you, and as I've been pushing our creation room downstairs, you've got to understand creation and the further you get into it with science backs up the creation story. It doesn't prove the, the, the evolution, nor does it prove, um, prove um, theistic evolution, the idea that God was guiding all of it. it none of it makes sense. And, I, and an illustration I forgot to give you last week was, you know, when science gets more and more into the idea of DNA, and I shared this about DNA, is that they've come and they've realized it's like having giant libraries in each of your cells. Libraries of information, technical information. You talk to somebody that says, no, I believe in evolution, and they say, say do you not believe in science? Do you really believe in every one of your cells there is a library filled of information that just randomly evolved? Then I tell them, this, do this. Let's go to my computer Let's open up a word processing document, processing document. Let's put a two-year-old before the keyboard and let them type things out for the next two hours. And at the end of two hours, if they've got a novel that is perhaps one of the greatest novel ever, then you have the chance to have the results of what evolutionists are saying happened with DNA. And I just got to tell you, it just, you say, well, that's nonsensical. Well, then it's nonsensical that anybody that understands science would ever look at the fact that DNA filled with all this information is random and just happenstance and just kept on working where God tried with a whole series of, of, of potential changes if it's theistic evolution. Oh, this one worked and this one didn't work, so we're going to have this. Where were all the transitional um, bodies of things that didn't work out? It, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then finally... The fact that there's an Adam and there's an Eve, I really want this to be something that you guys all think about because as we've been going through this text, um, and, and I've been so excited. And I got to tell you, so you guys all know, the elders talked about we're going to have like a creation Sunday. We're going to have a soup and salad, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to have Carl talk a little bit about the, some aspect of, of creation. I'm looking forward to it. We got to work on whether it's going to be the spring or whenever we're going to do this. I got to tell you people, one of the things that you've got to be entrenched on is the whole concept of reproduction. Think about the very fact that evolutionists have said you have a male and you have a female and they evolved independently and then at one point they decided, wow, we're not going to have asexual reproduction. We're going we're, we're to develop so that our body parts fit the chemicals fit, the entire process works, the DNA between each of us are going to be exchanged, and, and everything that we have that we are independently doing is now going to be evolved into two separate beings. And we're not just going to do it. 
we're going to have all the animals do it. Listen, just briefly, I went to Wikipedia this week, and you can do it. It's on the internet. Google it. Evolution reproduction. It is a fairy tale. It's an absolute fairy tale. They talk about the fact that people were asexual, meaning that, like, I was, I'm evolving, and I can make, I'm making my own children. Um, and that's what it means. I'm making my own children. But somewhere along the line, I decide, you know what? It would be far better if I had a sexual partner. And then, and, 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 and by God's, by, by nature working it out, she evolves too. I went through and I read all the technical stuff. And even at the end, they're saying, well, here's like three or four other views how it possibly could have happened. Listen, people, when we read this, and it says in verse 45, the first man, Adam, we should have great confidence that this is a real person. And we should not shy away from the foolish people who live in darkness, walk in darkness, and don't know where they're going, who want to hold off that evolution is science. Evolution is a fairy tale. We do not have to be embarrassed. We do not have to put our head in the sand and say, oh, oh we're just ignoring science. And, and that's why I'm trying to tell you, get down to our creation room and read the stuff that's down there so that you're not embarrassed. We get to become a renewal of the life that God started when he breathed life into Adam. Now look at how this continues on, because I think this is interesting. Verse 46 says, however, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, then the spiritual. Now he starts throwing in a lot of different words here that begin to build upon soul and spirit. The spiritual, the immaterial. Now he didn't say the soul or the, or the psyche. He, he goes, now the spiritual. Now I believe he's talking about the non-material realm here. The, and, and what he just wants to say here is, this is not first in the sequence, but the natural. The natural, that which is from the ordinary, that which we see, that which is all that is before us, all right? It is then the spiritual. And all he's trying to do is get that this becomes explicit on continuity. This is the next phase. He just wants us to see, you know, we're having a renewal of life, and it's clearly deals with continuity. Again, we're not going to become zombies. We're not going to become something else. We're not going to be like the primordial fish that slimed out of the ocean and all of a sudden one day is walking like a monkey and then one day is walking as a person. We're not going to do that. He wants us to understand, though, that God started this all off with a natural process and that it will eventually become a spiritual process. Now, verses 47 to 48, I tell you, I struggled with this. There's a lot here that seems to be all of one, like, like um, logical argument. And, and, and let me just break it down. This is the essence of it. We get bodies of a heavenly nature. So he says, the first man is from the earth. And, and Lenski brought up this great point. And Lenski has some great commentary, commentaries, um, R.H. Lenski. And he talked about the fact that when you say, wait a second, the first man is from the earth, and earthy, and the second man is from heaven. You say, wait a second, Jesus was born in the, on the earth too, wasn't he? Well, we're talking here about the resurrection aspect. We're talking about the natural aspect, and we're talking about the resurrection aspect. So please, I, I really want to make that point, because Lenski went into that in great detail, and he got very complicated and very technical, and I'm just trying to keep it simple before you, and I just think we're, we're dealing with origins here, but we're dealing with the origins like from heaven and from earth. 
And so you say, okay, the first man is from heaven. Well, we've already heard about the, earth, the, 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 the um, first man b- back in verse 45. But now he says there's the second man. He doesn't use the expression last man. He uses second man because I believe that's it. Remember I've said you have the first and you have the last. You have the first and the second. The second and the last are the same. There's, there's not... There has not been a bunch of people intermediate phases like Darwin proposed, and there isn't going to be anything after this. After Jesus Christ makes us into the who we're supposed to be with our resurrection bodies, there's not going to be a billion years go by, and all of a sudden God says, surprise, we're going to become something new. This is it. So he says the first man is from the earth. Earthy. Earth. Now, do you see the little adjective there? Uh, Adjectival noun. Earthy. Of the dust. This is why I really think he's trying to get to the nature of the material as well as we're going to get into the quality of character. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Why is Jesus able to walk through walls with this resurrected body? Because it's something that's different, that's never been around before on the earth on this regular basis. I mean, in the sense of being made out of humans. We as human beings are made out of, of these molecules, these atoms, and it originally all came from dust. God made us out of the ground. So that word earthy there is just dust. It's a word for topsoil. So when he says, he says, first man is made from the earth, earthy, made of topsoil, all right? The second man is from heaven. But you notice he didn't put in there made of heavenly material. But he kind of does in the next verse. Look at verse 48. As is the earthy, so as is those who are made of the dust, so also are those who are earthy. So basically, when Adam and Eve had children and everybody else of us, all of us have followed, we've all been made out of the same material that God breathed life into in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And he says, and as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. What, where, where's the comparison? Well, the idea is, is that we are all going to be of the same, this new material, this heavenly material. I've never seen heavenly material. Guess what? I'm going to. You're going to. And you've got to look forward to it. This is why we're talking about the future and to be excited about this. This is why it's a body that will never break down. It's imperishable. It's a new material. Someone says, hey, look, we just invented this new titanium metal, right, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. This is the new material. This is the most explicit verse that we are made of new material, heavenly material. And then verse 49 just as we have borne the image of the earthy, and you say, wait, time out. Image, you come back, man was made in the image of God. One of the greatest challenges theologically in the Bible, what does it mean in Genesis chapter 1 when man was made in the image of God? Well, we think it ties to this exterior that we have, but as well as what we call the communicable attributes, attributes like feeling, love, things like that, thinking that God has, that man, has ha- that man was given. So the idea is just as we have borne the image of the earthy, and remember Adam was made in the image of God, so also we will bear the image of the heavenly. And the heavenly is, is from this heaven. It is of Jesus. It will be, I think, of an incredible character because we'll never be able to get into sin. And all of this is why I just tried to give this a non-complicated title. We are going to have bodies of a heavenly nature. 
I'm excited. I'm going to have a body that will continue on this life, a renewal of this life. It will be the next phase of existence and the final phase of existence. It will be a body of a heavenly nature, including material as well as, I believe, character. And, And that's what he tried to get to in those verses. And so, yeah, I'm excited, and you should be excited too. So here's what we want. The bottom line is, do believers get a resurrection? And the answer is yes. And we get the most incredible body ever, a body that, that, that when we look at the analogy of a seed, it's a body that dies, but gets transformed, and that God's in the process. It's a body that, when compared to other bodies, is unique in that it's unique flesh. It's something we've never seen. It's not a clone. It's not going to perish. It's never going to be glo- It's going to always have its beauty. It's going to have power forever. It will always be always be something that will never fade away it's a spiritual in nature it's a body that that will continue my life it's the next existence of the human race and it's incredible in its nature so understand this god is not trying to give you a sales pitch do you get any commands in here there's a question and i got to tell you in verse 49 that there's a textual issue some people think there's a command there but i disagree and so I think that you went, all of these verses, no command. So not, no high-pressure sales pitch today, other than just trying to, like, please understand. This is what you get. And if you're getting this, then what in the world are you doing wasting your life? Not living for God, not serving God. You know, coming up with excuses of why you're not getting involved in church, coming, why you're not witnessing, why you're not studying more, why you're not pre- praying more, why you're not giving more. Listen, I just want you to understand. God is saying, listen, the people that understand it, they get it, and it's going to change their life. And then you go back to the previous section where he says, stop sinning. He he says, stop sinning. Sober up. Start thinking things through. Look at the way you're living your life. So, yeah, there's a lot we don't know about heaven. I do wish I knew what language I was going to speak, what clothes I was going to wear, what food I'm going to eat. But that'll all come. I get that. But what I do know is good. And what I do know is remarkable. And what I do know is that unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you don't get this. Why are you holding on to that bag of poop? And and if you don't don't like that, you think that's too graphic, the reality of it is, is you better come to an honesty honesty here. Because the Apostle Paul is the one who came for that. God is trying to get people to understand. Seriously, you think that you're having fun getting drunk, getting high, living your life up, doing your own thing, you're, you're lying to yourself. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and, and, and say, I need to be honest here. And you may not even be getting drunk. You may not be even getting high. You may not be doing other sexually immoral things. But the reality of it is, if you could be the most moral person, if you're not living for God and you're not committed to Jesus Christ, you're still wasting your life. And, and so the, the, this world is passing away and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever and you start with as i've been saying the abcs of salvation simple right admit you're a sinner admit and don't look for a feeling don't look like oh i don't feel guilty just acknowledge i am a sinner i'm guilty of god i've committed sin i am worthy of of death physical death spiritual death the only answer is jesus ABCs, simple, how we learn our language. Admit you're a sinner. Admit your guilt. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the God-man who died to pay the penalty for your sin. Believe that his death 
is the only way you can ever have your debt paid for. <laughs> this isn't like an offer, like a salesman saying, if you miss this offer, you know, oh, you know, um, sort of like, um, like you're doing God a favor. Like you're doing the salesman a favor by buying his product. God is offering this out of grace and out of mercy. When I come to the point and I talk about the fact that you should admit you're a sinner, once you realize that, you should be shaking in your boots. Because when we talk about eternal damnation, we talk about something that's irreversible. And, and you think your life is miserable, you think your life is lonely, you think your life is pitiful, and you think your life is, is so depressed, and, and you want to give all kinds of excuses for the sin that you want to get involved in, boy, you're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. I'm just trying to wake you up. God is offering this to you, but you're a guilty, wretched individual. And judgment is merciful to you that you don't walk out of this church right now and a meteor comes down and kills you in a slow, terrible death. And you, you think that's over the top. The reality of it is, is read things about hell. You think that God is playing games God's torture and hell for people who do not believe where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and never ends. You may say, I don't understand God. I don't understand why he does that. Well, I, I can understand penalty, and I can understand that's not good, and I don't want anything to do with it. So please don't think here when I'm saying I'm offering you salvation through Jesus Christ that I'm trying to do something just necessary that you're winning out. The reality of it is the fact that you're so guilty, you should be crying out to God to get his mercy. And it's all through Jesus Christ. And this is why when we sing about the love of God, you should be overwhelmed because you realize there is nothing in me that warrants God ever being merciful. He didn't look at Mike Matissick and say, oh, he's so handsome, he's so wonderful, he's so nice. I know he can do wonderful things. Because I look at even what the Apostle Paul says, it was all grace that I got to serve God. You read 1 Timothy chapter 1, it's mercy. I was, Paul says I was a blasphemous sinner. There was nothing in me worthy, and yet God granted me grace. And so he grants us grace. And so, A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. C, call upon his name. Whoever calls upon his name will not be disappointed. You say, I've called before. Call again. Call until you clearly know it. Get into the word. Know it, know it, know it. Because I want you to be there in heaven with me. I'm looking forward to what heaven's all about. There's a lot of surprises yet to come in heaven. A lot of surprises. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, please get the foot off of the other side of the fence. Stop playing both sides of the fence. Be someone that stops sinning. Understand where we're going. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing so much text to be given to us about who Jesus, who, what kind of body Jesus is giving us. And I pray that this is something that really resonates within us, that we as believers in Jesus Christ have an understanding of this incredible body. Thank you for these three analogies of, of the seed, the bodies, and atoms. We thank you, God, that this went into such great depth. But it will be fruitless, God, if it stops here. If this doesn't translate into changed lives, into more serviceable lives. I pray, Amen. Father, that you're working in the hearts of our people right now, those who are of the body of Jesus Christ, to challenge them regarding the way they use their time, their talents, and their treasures. We thank you, God, for this. And hope that somewhere along the line, somebody that perhaps is, is doing something sexually immoral right now, Someone that is being maybe just an idler right now. Somebody that is involved in some other blasphemous activity. 
is catching the reality of their guilt before God and the fact that they are under judgment. And I pray that even now, you're working to open their eyes where they'll just call out for your wonderful salvation. I pray, God, that you're doing that. I pray that they're opening their eyes and they're calling out right now. We thank you for all that you gave us, God, in Jesus Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen.